Jump. Get unstuck. Copyright Robert S. Tipton. All rights reserved. Alden Swain Press. Chapter 1. Franklin Falcon. Monday, about 8.30 a.m., Mountain Standard Time, Loveland, Colorado. Franklin Falcon sat with his head in his hands. Angela Lou's application on the top of the pile in front of him. How could things have turned ugly so quickly? It was as if he had somehow entered someone else's life and his own life had evaporated spontaneously. Normally a confident man, Franklin was just barely functioning as the news from within his organization continued to worsen. He'd seen tough times before, but through hard work, determination, and self-reliance, he developed a massive list of past successes and a long list of A players in the world as former clients. But this was different than anything he'd experienced before. Far different. Their expectations are unreasonable, he said in a strained whisper to no one in particular. He'd begun talking to himself as he sat at his desk, somehow expecting a solution to form from the thoughts floating above him. Minutes passed. When his hoped-for answer didn't appear, he shouted, They just aren't playing by the rules! The volume and ferocity of his last statement surprised even him, as if a great balloon had been punctured and the sudden release of air pressure created a far louder than expected explosion. His assistant of nearly eleven years, Becro Agassi, most people called her Betty, cautiously opened his door and peered in. Is there anything I can do for you, Mr. Falcon? she asked, hoping to hear his normal optimistic answer of, Thank you, Betty. All will be well. She'd heard that statement from him hundreds of times. All will be well. Betty, please clear my calendar for today and tomorrow morning. I need some time to think. Joe and I are going to the cabin. Betty blushed slightly as she realized she'd been staring open-mouthed at Franklin's response. Uh, oh, yes, certainly, Mr. Falcon, right away. She hurried to her desk, trying to think of a plausible story she could use to express Mr. Falcon's regrets at canceling his appointments. She was not having much luck. Eighty million? Might as well be eighty trillion. There's no way we can find that much money in less than a month, Franklin muttered to himself as he dialed Joe's cell phone. He needed her counsel. Through the 55 years they'd been married, she was the only person to whom he confided everything. Franklin Falcon, born Ferenzolium in 1935, had had an early life of change and uncertainty. His family emigrated from their native Hungary to Ohio in the late 1930s to escape the growing tyranny of the Nazi Empire. Even though his father, Henrik, was a skilled carpenter and his mother, Ebolia, was a highly competent administrator in their homeland, the language and cultural barriers the Solium family encountered in their adopted home forced Franklin's parents to work at menial jobs for low wages for many years. However, because they were committed to succeeding, they were willing to take some extreme measures to do so. Within the first year, his parents made the difficult decision to change their family name of Solium to the English translation of Falcon and to translate all of their given names as well. Thus, 
Franklin's parents became Henry and Violet Falcon, and their children, Ferenz and Corolla, became Franklin and Caroline. Even in the face of their crushing financial struggles as a family, Franklin thrived in America and was the first member of his family to complete a college education. He discovered he had a passion and aptitude for engineering, and his high school teachers encouraged him to apply for several scholarships. He eventually received a full scholarship in civil engineering from Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Upon graduation, he rose rapidly among his peers in civil engineering, working for a large Midwestern engineering and construction company designing innovations to public infrastructure. Eventually, he specialized in compact, affordable water treatment systems, ultimately receiving a patent on a groundbreaking design to eliminate bacterial contamination, E. coli, salmonella, etc., from entering the water supply in small, rural water treatment systems. He became a mini-celebrity in the world of water treatment and found himself earning princely sums of money as a result. Ferenz Solium was the embodiment of success in the American dream sort of way. Through a combination of hard work, self-reliance, determination, along with some luck, some help, and a good idea, he found himself labeled a success. But living as Franklin Falcon, he also never forgot his roots. After witnessing the challenges his parents had overcome and leveraging the strong sense of optimism and work ethic their example set for him, he knew success, on its own, was a hollow ambition and that true significance in life came from enabling others to reach their dreams. Even as a young man just starting his career, he became driven to provide opportunities to other immigrant families. He became expert at building relationships, raising money, encouraging commitment, and inspiring success in others. During his undergraduate college career, he'd fallen in love with the front range of Colorado, so he moved back to Loveland, a small city of about 65,000 located between Denver and Fort Collins, to create his foundation, the Falcon Foundation for Families. Loveland was a perfect spot to find highly educated, motivated, and altruistic staff members. It was close enough to Denver International Airport, DIA, to allow travel to or from most anywhere, and the weather was a vast improvement over what he'd experienced in his native Hungary and in Cincinnati, where he'd grown up. Franklin soon became addicted to the 300-plus sunny days each year in Loveland. But today, he found himself lost and confused. Maybe some time with Joe at their cabin would make the future seem brighter. Maybe. Chapter 2. Ernesto Martinez. Monday, about 11 o'clock a.m. Central Standard Time. Chicago. He'd made up his mind. The speculation from the bloggers, the tone of the emails and Facebook conversations involving other recipients of Falcon's generosity, and the general chatter in the world pushed him into action. Ernesto had to go see Mr. Falcon now. Falcon Foundation, a house of cards. Here comes a tornado, read one headline. Another suggested, Franklin Falcon building a catastrophic failure? Each of the stories was long on speculation and nearly devoid of specifics. No surprise there. 
Franklin Falcon was one of the most private individuals in the world, someone who shared few details about his foundation or his personal life. But the guessing game was starting to make more sense, and the facts that were surfacing, if indeed they were facts, were troubling. The Falcon Foundation appeared to be in major financial distress and was potentially at risk of defaulting on millions of dollars, maybe tens of millions, of payments coming due. Families would be devastated as a result, and Franklin's reputation would be forever stained. Franklin based his Falcon Foundation for Families on his core belief that everyone, no matter where they came from, deserved an equal opportunity to succeed. Franklin didn't believe in equal outcomes. No, he was passionate about equal opportunities. Consequently, rather than offering handouts, he focused on acquiring dignity through work and opportunity through vision. Franklin transformed his foundation's core beliefs into mandates. Overcome cultural and language barriers. Provide decent housing, affordable health care, and quality education and leverage the sense of optimism and hope embodied by those seeking a better life. After more than four decades of exemplary support to motivated and successful families, everything seemed poised to implode. Ernesto found he still had the Foundation's phone number committed to memory. Although he hadn't used it in a dozen years or so, in college he'd used it on a near-monthly basis. He dialed the familiar number. Good morning, Falcon Foundation for Families, developing the future leaders of tomorrow. How may I direct your call? Mr. Falcon's assistant, please, he said to the business-like receptionist. One moment. As Ernesto waited on hold, the recorded voice of Franklin Falcon gently spoke to him about the responsibilities and opportunities offered to Falcon families. Call or write for more information. The Falcon Foundation for Families, helping Betty Arasi, how may I help you? Even though she'd been in America for more than 20 years, her voice still bore traces of her Iranian heritage, including the guttural gh she used when saying her name. Her family had escaped the revolution and war that tore her country apart in the late 1980s. Once she answered, he discovered he'd been holding his breath for several seconds as an audible sigh is what greeted her from Ernesto's end. Uh, hello? Oh, oh, sorry, he stammered. The stress he was feeling was acute. Ernesto didn't know what he'd find when he got to Falcon. Miss Sagasi, my, my name is Ernesto Martinez. I don't think we've met before. My family is a Falcon family. We were selected when I was about ten years old, I think. Ernesto, oh, my yes, uh, I know your name, but I'm not sure we've met either. I do know about your accident. We had the newspaper clippings on the board here for a couple of years. My, my goodness, you were lucky to have been found, and, and in very good health, too, if I remember correctly. What can I do for you? The accident. A quick flashback to Iceland and the disastrous snowmobiling trip you'd taken on the Langekul Glacier. The second largest glacier in Iceland was notorious for rapid and potentially dangerous weather changes, and the snowmobiling group he was part of had become engulfed in a freak blizzard. The group lost their leader, who had the only GPS in the group, when he apparently fell into a deep fissure. Only three of the total of nine members survived to be rescued two days later. Ernesto was one of the lucky ones. 
I'm planning a trip to Colorado within the next week or so, and I want to drop in and spend some time with Mr. Falcon if he's going to be in town. Ernesto was in a good position at work to take a few days off. He had no short-term client-related commitments, and he could do what he needed to from anywhere. In fact, much of his work as a quantum mechanics consultant could be done in cyberspace. He often wondered how people survived for so many centuries without the Internet. Ernesto, I'm sure he'd love to see you. Having one of our kids visit is a highlight for all of us. What about Thursday? He, he's available for lunch and maybe for a bit during the early afternoon, too. He's planning a family vacation in Hawaii next week, and he'll be gone for about three weeks. So it's Thursday or about a month from now. Is that perfect? Ernesto replied just a little too quickly. He, he caught himself, relaxed, and said, I'll be there before noon, and I'll plan to take him to lunch. Is, is there a restaurant he prefers? He loves the Black Steer. It's just a short walk from here. Ernesto, I'll put you down on his calendar and make the reservations for lunch. If there's any problem from your end, please call and let me know. Thank you. He hung up. Ernesto wasn't sure he felt much better about things, but at least he started taking action. Movement felt positive. It reminded him of one of the lessons he'd relearned in Iceland. Nothing changes until something changes. Memories surrounding that statement suddenly came flooding back to him. Mr. Strickland, physics class, JFK High School. Ernesto didn't appreciate Mr. Strickland's wisdom as a 17-year-old junior. In fact, he thought his teacher was downright weird. But as Ernesto found his groove in college, he became captivated by the world of science and decided to make a career out of trying to understand how the universe fits together. One of his clearest memories of Mr. Strickland was of him saying, It might sound obvious, but without a first step towards something else, energy remains in a state of equilibrium. The forces of inertia are at play. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and nothing happens. No thing happens. Ernesto knew his decision to do something about what he was feeling about the Falcon Foundation was by itself the first step in transformation. Ernesto checked the web for the best price on flights from Chicago to Denver. After all, Thursday was just three days from now. Chapter 3. Thinking Too Much Tuesday, about 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, Red Feather Lakes Road, Colorado. The previous afternoon, Franklin and Joe had driven to their cabin near Red Feather Lakes in comfortable silence. Franklin and Joe had been married while they were still in college and grown up and grown together. Joe Falcon was extraordinarily compassionate, but she had a bit of Winston Churchill in her. Saying she could be direct, well, that was clearly an understatement. However, Franklin, who tended to brood, valued her forthrightness and decisiveness. Franklin needed her help, especially with the deciding part. He was doing an excellent job on his own with the brooding part. They'd owned the cabin for more than 30 years and enjoyed spending as much time there as they could, that is, when their sons and their families weren't using it. Their grandchildren especially loved the place, but their school schedule allowed only weekend use this time of year. Upon their arrival, the cabin had been ready for Franklin and Joe, immaculate and quiet. Perfect. They were avid cross-country skiers, and before dinner last night, they'd taken Maggie on a five-mile trek. 
Maggie was a loyal companion, part Australian Shepherd and part Great Pyrenees. She was a master at making sure things were under control, but in a calm, friendly, canine sort of way. Franklin appreciated her organizing instincts, but he long ago had wished Maggie knew more about the stock market, hiring practices, and public relations. She listened well, but her advice was lacking in details. At dinner, Franklin said, I'm not sure what to do. I could really use, Joe cut in, are you ready to admit yet that the foundation is in trouble? If you're not, there's nothing to discuss. She paused. We don't have enough money to pay our bills, and this is in large part due to some of your decisions, right? He blinked once, then twice. Joe, you always know how to get right to things. His voice trailed to a whisper, his eyes filling with tears. There. It was out in the open. This was the central issue, and he knew it. He just had trouble admitting it. Yes, I, I realize the Foundation finds itself in a difficult spot, and I'm thinking about some steps we can take to get things turned around. He looked absently out the picture window. Tonight he wasn't seeing the view that usually inspired him. Joe reached for his hand and squeezed. You know, my father always told me, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Joe was very fond of simple, straightforward philosophy. Stop digging. The words echoed in Franklin's brain as he swirled the wine in his glass. A pause. She caught herself. I'm sorry. I know how hard you work, how much of yourself you give to others every day, but you're only one person. How can you expect to have all the answers? He glanced up at her, caught her eye ever so briefly, and returned his gaze to his empty plate. Speaking to the china, he said, Yes, again, you're right. Freddy, maybe it's time to look at things differently. Maybe it's time to share more details with more members of your executive team. They're a pretty talented bunch, no? And what about the board? I know you hate those meetings, but maybe you could trust them enough to involve them too. She was the only person on earth now who called him Freddy. It was the name his mother had called him, a nickname coming from his given name of Ferenz. Hearing the name Freddy always had a way of anchoring him, uh, of reminding him that he had been loved. His mind retreated inwards. Share more details. Hmm, I'll have to give it some thought, he promised Joe, although he really didn't know what to do first. She smiled. There you go, thinking again. Her voice was teasing, but her message was direct. They turned in early, and much to Franklin's surprise, he slept soundly. The morning arrived without new insights. They'd made and enjoyed a breakfast of fresh fruit and whole-grain cereal, and now they were in the process of doing the dishes as Maggie walked into the kitchen. Answers! I need answers! Franklin implored the big white dog as he reached to scratch Maggie behind the ears. Her tail wagged enthusiastically, but she remained mute. Joe was packing the remaining food as Franklin reached for his phone. Betty? Good morning. Yes, yes, we had a great evening. The hummus was delightful. Thank you for thinking of it. Oh, yes, Joe's great. Now, we're headed back to Loveland in about 35 minutes or so, and I should be in the office by noon. Okay, I'll drive carefully. No, I hadn't heard about the weather forecast. Anyway, thank you, Betty. Once the kitchen was clean, he took out the well-worn checklist he'd created more than 20 years ago to ensure everything was just so after cabin visits. He ran over the list at least twice each time they left, and today was no different. 
Come on, Freddy, we need to get going. She shook her head and walked up to him, hugging him. You know, I bet you never covered outside the lines when you were a kid, she kidded him. Huh? I, I, I'm sorry, Joe. I'm almost done. What was it you said? Never mind. Come on, Maggie, let's go load up the car. Joe opened the door, and Maggie responded by rushing out to the silver SUV and whining impatiently to be let into the back seat. As he finished the second pass on the checklist, Franklin's subconscious spoke. God, I really miss Marty. I know he'd have the right answers. Franklin set the alarm, closed and locked the cabin door, and tossed his bag into the back of their car. He climbed in, started the engine, and switched on the wipers to clear the accumulating drizzle from the windshield. It appeared the weather forecasters were right. The early bands of a potentially large weather system would be coming over the foothills today. Colorado was notorious for blizzards in March, and the storm models suggested a sizable storm could be on the way. He certainly felt as if a storm was building. Chapter 4. The Muckraker Wednesday, about 10 a.m., Eastern Standard Time, New York City. Do we have any other families lined up? Preferably some with kids who have big eyes and with something special in their story. Terminally ill parents would be a great angle. She was running through her mental list of story preparation notes, towing her entourage of junior staff hangers-on in her wake. Marissa Grant, the host of The Grant Report, a nationally syndicated cable news show, was fully into her attack mode, sensing that the story at Falcon was far bigger than even she could imagine, and she had a powerful imagination. A particularly intense member of the entourage blurted enthusiastic, Let's see, yes, there's Angela Liu, a, a high school senior from Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Falcon family for nine years now. Beautiful girl. She'll look great on camera. Daughter of Lu Tao and Lu Ping, who emigrated from the Jiangxi region in China when Angela was just a baby. Father diagnosed with inoperable brain cancer a few months back. Mother had to quit working to care for him, no health insurance. Families basically surviving on handouts and government assistance. Jiangxi, isn't that where the earthquake happened? Lots of kids killed while in school back in 2004, 2005. Fantastic images, big story. Before anyone on her team could answer her, she was on to the next detail. Brain cancer, inoperable, big debts. I'm guessing they need the health benefits from Falcon, and Angela's status gives her a virtual guarantee of six-figure employment opportunities when she graduates. They'll be suffering pretty badly if Falcon fails, won't they? Again, another rhetorical question. Get her story now. If it's everything I think it might be, I'd like to go meet her. With a full production crew, of course. Chapter 5. Angela Liu. Wednesday, 11.50 p.m. Central Standard Time. Eden Prairie, Minnesota. The call from the producer at the Grant Report had shaken her. Her mind was cycling, repeating the producer's words over and over. Did you know the Falcon Foundation is about to fail? What are your family's plans? What are your family's plans? What are your family's plans? Angela's family had been selected as a Falcon family when she was nine. Since then, she'd spent years studying, sacrificing, and serving, and had earned enough points within the Falcon measurement system to ensure complete funding for college-related expenses. In addition, through community service and other volunteer work she and her family were committed to doing, 
Falcon had been providing other benefits to her family, most especially health care for her father. She'd been accepted to study civil engineering at Colorado School of Mines in Golden beginning in the fall semester, and everything appeared to be falling into place for her. But the rumors about the Falcon Foundation were troubling at best. The blogs were full of people sniping about the future of the Foundation. Add the fact that Marissa Grant herself was planning to come interview Angela, and that clinched things for Angela. The Foundation was indeed in trouble. Angela? It's after midnight. It's time to log off and get some sleep, came the quietly compassionate voice of Angela's mother. Worrying about it won't help. I know. I'm just looking at my dorm options in Golden. Truth was, Angela was looking for any shred of positive news she might find online about the Foundation. I'll turn out the light soon. Her mother retreated from the door, paused to brush away a tear, and walked slowly down the hall. Mrs. Lou wasn't particularly good at following her own advice about not worrying. This is so unfair, she muttered, a little more loudly than she intended. Nine years of work, of planning, of dreaming. For what? Mom? Are you okay? Angela queried through the door. Oh, yes, I'm fine. I, I just stepped on the cat, her mother lied. Angela fretted for a few more minutes, read a couple more posts coming from members of other Falcon families, and decided her mother was right. Worrying wasn't going to change anything. However, her intuition was telling her that she was going to have to make substantially different plans for her college career. For more information, visit www.ourjump.com. That's www.ourjump.com. Thank you.